refreshing to this morning. Um, because, uh, yeah, like the way that you guys were worshiping God felt really unreserved <laughs> in a way that I, I, I don't often get to celebrate Jesus in that way with, with my church. And it actually is really refreshing and really healthy um, to get to be around people who aren't as post-Christian and aren't as secular and just aren't afraid of wearing their love for Jesus on, on the outside. It's really nice. Um, and um, I also want to say that it's super rare as a church planner to have a pastor like approach you and say, hey, can I give to you? Which is what he did. Um, and that's really cool. Um, and we've been really grateful uh, to get to serve Jesus and and for the ways that your, your dollars have made that happen. So thank you. Um, we are not what we eat. Um, I know this because I am not 50% chicken burrito. Um, I don't smell like a Chipotle. Um, you can smell me. If you don't smell me. Um, that's rhetorical. Uh, when we eat, we change that stuff, right? Um, we aren't what we eat. We are what we think. Because when we think things, it changes us. Um, we are what we pay attention to. What we pay attention to determines who we are. It develops us. It disciples us. And whatever it is that your mind uh, is turning to when you're stuck in traffic or when you can't sleep, that is discipling you. That is developing you. What we pay attention to determines what we see. And knowing this, Jesus said this really sage thing. Verse 18. He says, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. Pay attention to how you pay attention, is what he's saying here. Because whatever views you, you, you start to have in life, they gain momentum and they start to, they start to shape the way that you see things, right? Uh, we all know that we, we gravitate towards information that reaffirms the biases that we have. And this has been a human thing forever. And it is getting so much worse because of tech. Uh, Apple, Facebook, Google, they all know this about you. This is what everyone's, everyone's worried about this echo chamber. Everyone's talking about uh, the, the, we're, we're living in a post-truth uh, time because that's just your truth. That's just your truth, right? Um, they feed us information that reaffirms the things that we, that we already uh, believe. Why? Because they know that what we pay attention to determines how we see. And so Jesus says, that for those of you who have, more will be given. But those of you who don't have, even what you think you have is going to be taken away from you. Jesus is saying that there are truths about me that I'm trying to get across here. There are truths about me that if you get them, you're going to get literally everything. Right? So if, if you came here ready for a little, little post-breakfast, pre, pre-lunch nap, you got to wake up. Because we got some stuff, to, we got some stuff to, to, to pay attention to today. So uh, here's, here's the passage. It comes from Luke 8. And I guess you guys have been in Luke for two years. <laughs> you guys have been paying close attention. You've been really listening. That's good. Um, while a large crowd was... I'll read it from here in case you got it. Oh, I think you got the same one. I'll read it here. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up 
and were choked. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked what this parable meant, and he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parables. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, but when they hear it, uh, but, but then they have no root. They believe for a little while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, they produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be made known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have even what they think they have is going to be taken from them. So the thing that Jesus really wants us to hear, that if we get it, we're going to get everything else, is that the word of God is a seed. The word of God is a seed. And at my church, we, uh, we have conversations. We get people talking. Um, so I want to try that here a little bit. And what do you guys think it means when, when Jesus said the, the word of God is a seed? It's alive. It, it takes dead earth and it turns it into something alive. It takes minerals from the ground. It takes, it takes sunlight and it takes carbon from the air and it pulls all these things together and resources it in service of the life that's inside of it. God wants to take all the resources in your life. He wants to take your job, your relationships, your money, and he wants to use them in service of the love that he's growing inside of you. He wants to bring you to life through that process, right? What else? Potential. What kind of potential? It grows fuller inside of you. What does that look like? The fruit of the spirit, yeah. Yeah, it starts as this and it starts as this small thing and then it grows into something much larger, right? Um, seeds are these compact little tiny things. Um, they start really small. And the, and the gospel, it, it, it comes in a small, tight package. It comes in a potent package, right? You can, you can put it really simply. You can say, you know, the gospel, at its heart, it's, it's, it's about um, God loving us enough to die in our place so that we can have eternal life. It's a small idea. Some people put it in two words. Uh, substitutionary atonement. Um, some people put it in one word and say, grace. Right? It's a small thing. But if you internalize it, if you let it in, if you let it grow its roots in you, it's going to heal you. It's going to change you. It's going to change your perspective on anything. It's, it's, it's going to fill you up with so much gratitude and change the way that you live. And it's not just going to change the way that you live. It's going to give you everything. It's going to give you the kingdom of God. 
the riches of God, all the power at God's disposal, it's going to give you, right? What else? Tell me more about seeds. Boom! Seeds reproduce. Um, seeds exist to, to produce more seeds. And uh, when I was looking up online, searching for, like, how many seeds come from a plant in a given year, for some reason the only uh, information that the Internet uh, had for me about this was um, about the marijuana plant. Uh, <laughs> for some reason the Internet is very interested in how many seeds you can get from one marijuana plant in a year, and the answer is 2,000. That's a lot of seeds. Um, a seed that isn't reproducing, what is that? That's, that's just being a nut, right? <laughs> that's just a topping for a salad. That's just 200, 200 of them make up one granola bar. It's not worth a lot, right? Thousands of them ground up as mustard seeds, and, and it costs a dollar at the supermarket. Um, a seed that's not, being, uh, not reproducing is just being a nut. Don't be a nut. Be a seed, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, and seeds have the power to alter the landscape. Um, if, you, if you have a massive burn and a whole forest is wiped out, you can come and you can drop one seed in, and you can come back ten years later, and that place is going to look totally different, right? Um, you don't see it happening. It's not something that you see happening, but over time, uh, one seed will turn into a forest because every seed has within it the DNA that is capable of creating an entire forest, right? We have that power inside of us. If we have the gospel inside of us, we have the greatest force for love and hope and, and reconciliation with God and, and soul uplift that exists in the entire world. All across the world right now, people are calling out to the name of Jesus. And, and our, our, their, their souls are being lifted up, and we have that power inside of us. And if all the Christians on earth were wiped out, you could recreate church. You could get Christianity going again. If you have the gospel, you have this immensely powerful thing that can, that, that can alter the landscape, right? Um. Jesus says that there are three ways that the power that is in the gospel, the, uh, that the seed can get choked out. Um, there's three ways. So it's um, getting snatched up, getting scorched, and getting choked out. So let's talk about those. So uh, the first seed is, 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 is the snatched up seed. It's the one that uh, it falls on hard, hard ground, and so it never gets under the surface, and birds come and eat it up. Um, when you think about the forces in your life, uh, what does this bring to mind to you, for you? Unbelief. And why is it why is it tempting not to believe? Yeah. Fear of how, uh, fear of the way that the seed's actually going to change you. What else? Yeah, and what kind of things are you getting taught that, are, that create unbelief? That's a question. What are they? You're never going to get sick. Mm-hmm. False expectations for what it means to, to follow Jesus. 
Yeah. What else? The Bible's not true. There's a lot of that going around. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like uh, one, especially for the for the people that I uh, work with, uh, it's a, it's a lot of engineers in the city. It's it's a very scientifically minded uh, city. So I feel like one of the most common ones is to just deny that there's any spiritual layer to life. Um, to just say that the only things that we should uh, think are the things that we can prove through science, and that we shouldn't believe anything, and that science ex- this describes all the questions that we have in life. Um, and that that's it. And, uh, okay, where did I put my fork? This is a fork. Um, and you could know a lot of things about this fork. You could know um, its exact shape and, and, and the space that it takes up in the physical world. You could know all the chemicals that make it up. You could know where it was mined from. I don't know if they mine the metal for forks. They probably do. Um, you, could know, you could know so many facts about this fork. But if you don't know what it's for, if you don't know that it's for eating, you don't know what a fork is. You can know all kinds of facts about something, but if you don't know what it's for, you don't know what a fork is. And science is is really good at telling us the what, but not the why. Um, Science is very good at answering a lot of our questions, but we've gotten obsessed as a culture thinking that it can answer all of our questions, and it just, it can't touch a lot of them. Um, The deepest questions that life has, what is love. What am I for? What is my creator like? How do I get right with my creator? What what lies on the other side of death? Um, Science can't touch those. Um, Can't touch them. I'll tell this. Uh, I feel like a dork kind of because I talked about Kierkegaard last time I was here and I'm going to do it again. And I've literally only done this like twice in my entire time as as a pastor. But um, Kierkegaard has this, this cool idea where, where uh, he says, imagine that there's somebody who is in an insane, insane asylum, and they break free, and they really want to prove that they're not crazy anymore. So they're running away from the insane asylum, and they're like, what do I do to not have to go back there? I know, I'm going to go to my sister's house, um, and I'm going to knock on the door, and I'm going to prove to her that I'm not insane. And so I'm going to tell her something that's true. I'm going I'm to prove that I'm, that I'm sane by telling her something true. And then she opens the door and she sees her brother there and, and, and her brother says, The earth is round! 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 Um, Kierkegaard's point is you can, you can say something that's factually true, but if it does not relate to where you are in life, it, it's insane to focus on. And I feel like that's what our culture is doing. Like, science! 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 science. Um, no! It, what, like, like what Jesus is saying here is, 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 is if, if you try to answer the deepest uh, questions in life uh, just with the scientific process, like, um, that's insane. Um, and that if, if, you, if you follow me, if you let my words in, um, that those who have even more will be given. That he has the keys to expose the inner meaning of reality. And then if we go to Jesus, um, we're going to really see. So be careful how you pay attention. Right? Okay. So, that's the snatched up seed. Let's talk about the... the um, oh, no! There's one more thing I really wanted to say. And uh, 
Oh, I love this, about the, about the, the, the inner meaning of reality being exposed by Jesus. Um, if you really, if you, if you want to get to know God, you've got to go for a hike. Uh, you've got to get out in nature, because nature is canonical. Nature is from God, and it, and it speaks about who God is. And when, whenever Jesus is, is telling us a parable, there's a reason that it's about rocks and seeds and, and uh, vines, and it's about, it, it's, it's about water, because God has put who he is into the very workings of the world. And, and to think that seeds are the way that they are because God wanted to teach us something about our souls and what they're capable of, that's beautiful. When Jesus said the word of God is a seed, he wasn't, he wasn't just like picking a random metaphor and like, oh, whatever. No, this was planned from the beginning. This was a long reveal magic trick where generation after generation after generation of people are living with seeds and around seeds and, and eating seeds and living on seeds. And then, and then when God comes in the flesh, he comes and he says, this was here to teach you about your soul. Um, when you believe that there's a God, the, the, the meaning of reality just blows up and, and, and nature becomes so much more interesting and intriguing and, and, awe, and awe-inducing because there's a magician behind the magic. And nature is the speech of God. Na- nature contains the words of God and the word of God is a seed, right? Um, go on a hike. Spend some time with a tree. You guys are like, uh, Caleb... <laughs> He's going to ask us to start tie-dyeing stuff soon. <laughs> His edible is just picking, kicking in. I, I don't smoke weed. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't. Don't worry. Um, okay. So uh, the, the, uh, the rootless seed, let's talk about that. He says that uh, these, these seeds never, never send roots down. They come up with a lot of excitement, but then when a little bit of heat comes, it, it just uh, it kills them. What do you think, what, when you think about the forces in your life, what do you think that means? What is Jesus talking about? Yeah. How do you guys feel that happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you, if you, uh, aren't sending your roots into Jesus regularly, then, like, all it takes is someone to give you a disapproving look, at, 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 at a coworker to just look at you funny when you tell them that you're a Christian and then your faith will go into hiding. Yeah. What else? Adversity. What? Adversity. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of adversity? Mm-hmm. Depression. Anything else? What? Mockery. Yeah. Does anybody have any stories of uh, ways you've gotten mocked that you want to share? Kind of an intimidating thing to do with a large group. Here's the thing. Um, if the way that uh, God sees you isn't louder than the way that other people see you, uh, then your faith is going to wither. 
and it, it is really easy to conjure the presence of God at a, at a conference and, and to, to get really excited about it. But if you don't have a prayer practice, um, this real discipleship where people really know who you are and, and you're opening up about, uh, you're confessing with them, you're growing together, you're committed to growing with someone else. If you don't have active ways that you are loving and serving Jesus, then that thing's not going to root. It's, it's not going to grow. Um, and this brand of death, it, it happens gradually, it happens slowly. It doesn't happen in a second. And I don't know of hardly anybody, I don't think I know of anybody, maybe one person, who, who has actually sat down and reasoned their way to the conclusion that God isn't real. Um, I, I don't see people, there's no, there's no math equation that when you get to the end of it, you're like, well, God's not real, moving on. Um, what happens is this slow death, this rootless faith, that uh, after you haven't been paying attention to God anymore, he doesn't seem real to you anymore because what you pay attention to determines what you see. You have 168 hours in your week, and I know it can feel like this sacrifice to give time to Jesus, to, to come here, spend an hour and a half, and if, if he drops the ball, if I drop the ball, then it's like, I could have been eating pancakes and watching House Hunters International. Now I will never know what it's like to rent an apartment in Prague. <laughs> like, what? What am I going to do? Um, I, I did the math. If, if you give two and a half hours to your faith, which barely any Christians are doing this. Like, most Christians are going to, to church once a month. If you give two and a half hours a week to your faith, you, you spend time in a church service, you spend time in a discipleship relationship with somebody else, that's 1.4% of your time. If you're not going to give 1.4% of your time to something, what you pay attention to develops what you see, and it's not going to be real, and it's not going to be rooted. Let's get rooted. Let's be, let's, be a, let's be a church together. Let's care about each other. Like, let's get rooted in the gospel, right? Let's get some roots. Um, and then the third seed gets choked by worries, riches, and pleasures. And in the, in the Matthew version, it, I, I, like, I like that it, it actually says, they get choked by the deceitfulness of wealth. That wealth actually deceives you into thinking that you can control your environment, you can control the outcomes in time, uh, 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 outcomes in your life, uh, just by having wealth. And wealth is... I, I listen to this podcast called The Happiness Lab, and it's this Yale professor, and it's a really good podcast. And um, she was talking about how, uh, unlike anything else, Money tricks us into thinking that it is the thing that will make us happy. And it tricks us into devoting our lives to it. And they did this, this study, this, this Harvard study. It's one of the longest-running studies that they've ever done. It's a huge one. And they tracked the health and the habits of 268 Harvard students. So they took some, some sophomore uh, Harvard students, and they compared them to 456 inner-city kids with a, that were coming from a rough background. And they decided they were going to track them through their whole lives every year ask them these questions about uh, what their habits were and how happy they were. And this, this study started in 1938. It's been going more than 80 years, one of the longest studies that's ever been done. And most of the people that started in the study are, are dead now, but they've even expanded it to the next generation, to their kids and their kids' kids, to follow them and see, see what happens in these people's lives. Like, where, where do, 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 does your life take you and how happy does it leave you? And this is what they found. This is, this is Harvard. This is what they found. Close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents. 
They helped to delay mental and physical decline. People actually lived longer. Your loneliness uh, was roughly equivalent to, to uh, smoking 15 cigarettes a day in terms of how quickly you were going to die because of loneliness. Um, uh, the, they protect people from life's discontents, hope to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. That finding proved true across the board among both the Harvard men and the inner city participants. So our brains are super good at tricking us into thinking that what would make us happy is some respect, is some money, is some fame. But the people who got that weren't the ones that were happy. That's what this study found. This is the, this is, this is the uh, most in-depth study that has been done on this uh, subject. Harvard people, looking at Harvard people, right? This is the scientific method here. And what they found out is that the things that, that the happiest people were talking about at the end of their life, none of them were talking about their achievements at work. None of them were talking about the possessions that they had gathered. What they were talking about was the connections to the people that they loved. What they were talking about was the time that they got to teach their grandkid uh, to go sailing. Right? It's sad to think about how much of the life that God wants for us is going to get choked out, worried about these things. Jesus knew that the only thing that's worth devoting your life to is love. The only thing that we're going to care about when, we, when, when we're getting close to our deathbed and the only thing that we're going to care about into eternity is what do we spend in the name of love, right? Getting choked by the worries. We know what it's like to get choked by the worries. And um, I feel like a hypocrite. It was actually kind of hard to, to be preaching on this passage this week because um, when I look over the last like 15 years of my life, I think this is one of the seasons where I've been choked by worries more than I, than I usually am, where, where I am really getting choked by a lot of worries. And yeah, it was, it was hard to have to focus on this. Um, there were several days where I was just getting so depressed where it was really hard to, to, to work on this. Um, and I just wanted to put this down and not work on it um, because it's been a hard time. Um, we're three years into this church plant and uh, at a time when we really need it to be growing, it's shrinking a little bit. And um, I'm having to face a lot of disappointments with myself. Um, I'm finding out I'm not as inspirational of a leader as I thought I was. Um, that I'm not as patient and holy of a person as I thought I was. And I'm finding myself, I've been like blowing up at my kids a lot, and we all blow up at our kids. Like, I know that that's natural. Like, <laughs> they're, they're circus creatures that have been let loose. They're awful. Just, <laughs> yeah, everyone blows up at their kids. I, when I was working on this yesterday, I wasn't doing anything, and, and uh, Goldie just came up and bit me. <laughs> she, <laughs> she bit me. Um, blowing up your kids is, is normal, but the, if I'm, if I'm, <laughs> circus creatures, uh, but if I'm being honest with myself, the reason that I've been blowing up with them more, uh, recently yelling at them because they're not getting their shoes on fast enough and stuff is because I'm actually pretty disappointed with myself right now. Um, and I'm disappointed with 
how little um, I have to show for how much work I've done, but also I'm even more disappointed in how much I care about that and how it reveals how self-centered I am. And, it, and um, it's, I'm a, usually a really happy guy, and, and the past couple of weeks, for, it's pretty weird for me to have like two days where I can't do my work because I'm so depressed. Um, and I spoke on this passage five years ago, and it was hard for me to look back at what I'd written five years ago and how hopeful it was. And to think back to that time, it was a time where there was all this ministry fruit, and I was just feeling so, yeah, this seed of God is power. Like, and then to be looking at it, and, and honestly, I don't, I don't want to feed you guys something if it's not real for me, right? Um, and this honest question of like, am I being brought to life by this seed, um, or am I getting choked out by the worries? And I've been worried about a lot of things. I've been worried about, are, is our family going to have enough money? Um, I've been worried about, am I going to have to shut down this church that I love so much and that I've been pouring myself into for three years? And if I do, um, does that mean that I'm a failure? And does that failure show, and the mopiness that that failure is creating, does it show that I wasn't really in this for Jesus? I was in this for myself, that I'm self-centered. And I look at all the money everybody else is making. And I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> right? Um, and if God isn't there, then fretting about these things makes a lot of sense. If God isn't there, like, what else is there to worry about other than the, than the worries of life, the pleasures, and the riches? Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but I refuse to live in such a small world, and I don't care if everyone in my generation decides that that's all there is to life. I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to believe that there is a magician behind the magic, that there is a good gardener, and that even the pain that I'm feeling in my ego right now, that that is the pain of the gardener cutting out things in me that are bad, that are not going to bear fruit because he wants me to bear more fruit in, in the future. And all this emotional energy that I've been wasting on, on worrying about things, um, it makes a lot of sense if God isn't there, but if heaven is real, man, what am I whining about? I, if, if I got heaven coming, like, what am I worrying about, right? Jesus said, pay careful attention to how you listen, to what you're paying attention to, to what you're worrying about, to what you're obsessing with, to, to, to what you're uh, focusing on. And he says, listen, because the kingdom of God comes through listening. And when I honestly listen to, to the voice of God, that's the only time that I feel like I can breathe right now, that I'm not getting choked out by the worries. When I quiet down and I listen to the voice of God, he changes my perspective on things in a really good way. And do I see how lucky I am to get to walk these people through all these crises? Do I see how lucky I am that people are so open with me and I get to be so open with them and I get to love them? I, I just had this man group on Thursday and I was like, God, I love these people! Right? Do I, do I see how lucky I am to get to wake up to... Uh, I'm crying now. Do I, do I see how lucky I am to get to, get to wake up to, to somebody who's so warm and insightful and has decided to be with me no matter what? Do I see how lucky I am to get to, to, get to kiss my little daughter's face, right? She's 
whenever she sees me, she just runs at me and smashes her face into my leg, giggling and stuff, because she loves me so much. I'm, I'm so rich. <laughs> when God speaks, things come to life. The word of God is a seed. We are seeds turning into trees. We are gospel carriers that get to make meaning out of confusion, that get to turn loss into love, that get to turn loneliness into community. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God is making his appeal through us. It's been given to us to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. We're lucky. Um, in a second, we're going to have some silence, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave these seeds up here. And sometimes it can be good uh, to have a symbol for what's going on on the inside. And so if you're speaking to God and you're, and you're saying, I want to internalize your word, I want to I let it in. I want to let it bring me to life. Um, and if you want to come up and take a seed as a, as a symbol of that commitment, um, we're going to have some silence, um, a couple minutes of silence before we start the worship. Um, and, it's, and it's a time for you to speak to God, to take whatever your cares and worries are to God. And I've got one more thought. The worries of life, um, they're not going to go away, no matter what, no matter what circumstance you find yourself in. Um, I, was, I was talking to Dave uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, what if I was in this ministry context or doing something else? Um, And he was like, you know, you're going to be just as worried there as you are here. Uh, Because it's it's not a circumstance thing, it's a human thing. It's not a circumstance thing, it's a human thing, right? Um, No matter what job, no matter what city, no matter what person you're dating, there will be worries there to choke you out. And we are pretty incapable of overcoming our worries uh, we don't know what to do with them. And without God in the picture, we don't know what to do with them. Because the soil is not the one that takes out the cares and the worries, that takes out the thorns and the rocks. Um, it's the gardener that is supposed to do that. And, and so the best advice that I have for you, if you're in, getting gripped, getting choked by something that's worrying you, is just take it to God and say, honestly, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm listening. What do you want? Jesus went to the cross to clear out anything that would choke out your spiritual life. Jesus took your thorns. They gave him a crown of thorns, and he wore it to his death. Jesus took the rocks that will block your roots. They buried him underneath the rock. Jesus is the good gardener who will take your cares, who will take your worries, and he will blow them off of you. The cross was Jesus' way, was God's way of saying, nothing will stand in the way of my voice and my voice will bring you to life. We are green things. We are embryonic forms of new things that God wants to do. We are souls that are coming into bloom. We are seeds that are becoming trees. Let's pray.
God, we invite you into the room. And especially if there's anybody here who has never known your presence and has never internalized your truth, I pray that you would come to them now and say, I am here and that my promise for eternal life is true. God, we ask that you would sink your roots into us. Let's stay in prayer. Let's stay quiet. And uh, if you want to come up and take a seat, feel free to.